Property rights are founded in the biblical text, and the economy does not ultimately belong to the collective that is society. But the Bible insists that everything that each of us has is ultimately a gift from God. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 109, Ahav, Elijah and the Vineyard. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Shakespeare's Richard II tells the tale of a tyrannical monarch surrounded by sycophants who urge him to act on his every desire. When the king's uncle, John of Gaunt, dies, Richard decides to confiscate Gaunt's estate, knowing that rightfully it should be inherited by Gaunt's son, Bolingbroke, who is also known as the Duke of Hereford. There is one man who will tell Richard the truth, that what he is doing is wrong. This is another uncle of the king, the Duke of York who pleads with Richard that if he confiscates the property that Bolingbroke, Duke of Hereford, has inherited, Richard imperils his own kingship, and adds further that if rights to property can be undone, so can Richard's own right to the throne. The Duke of York says, Seek you to seize and gripe into your hands the royalties and rights of banished Hereford? Is not Gaunt dead, and doth not Hereford live? Was not Gaunt just, and is not Harry true? Did not the one deserve to have an heir? Is not his heir a well-deserving son? Take Hereford's rights away, and take from time his charters and his customary rights. Let not tomorrow then ensue today. Be not thyself, for how art thou a king, but by fair sequence and succession? Now afore God, God forbid I say true, if you do wrongfully seize Hereford's rights, call in the letters patent that he hath by his attorney's general to sue, his livery, and deny his offered homage. You pluck a thousand dangers on your head. You lose a thousand well-disposed hearts and prick my tender patience to those thoughts which honor and allegiance cannot think. In other words, he is saying, if you seize Hereford's land, you court rebellion. King Richard obstinately replies that he wants what he wants, saying, think what you will, we seize into our hands his plate, his goods, his money, and his lands. The Duke of York then prophesies doom. I'll not be by the while, my liege, farewell. What will ensue hereof, there's none can tell. But by bad courses may be understood that their events can never fall out good. Indeed, Richard ends up overthrown and then dead. And the complicated battles for England's throne take turn after turn in Shakespeare's further works. Richard is a tale of a king who wishes to take what he wills. And the disaster that results is a lesson in politics and statesmanship. This brings us back to the book of Kings, where we are given a biblical true tale that is somewhat similar. A king who seeks to take what does not belong to him. Land that is not of a nobleman, but of an ordinary Israelite. And that desire leads to sin, and then to one of the most devastating prophecies of punishment in the Tanakh. In turn, we learn from this story a great deal about the biblical influence on the West, as well as the very meaning of Israelite monarchy. After the many idolatrous actions of King Ahav, who rules over the northern kingdom, as well as the terrible attacks by his wife Jezebel on the prophets of God, suddenly a new crime is committed. Ahav the king desires the land of his neighbor so that he may plant a garden there. Chapter 21, verse 2. And Ahav spoke unto Navot, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house and I will give thee a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to 
Ahav, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahav came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Navot the Israelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke unto Navot the Israelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. King Ahav, in other words, is sulking. Jezebel, his wife, in turn, tells Ahav that he should act like a king. And for Jezebel, that means that he should take what he wishes and mercilessly remove all who stand in his way. Verse 7, And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Israelite. Jezebel frames Navot so that witnesses falsely accuse him of cursing the king and of blaspheming against God. Navot is then executed, and his vineyard is confiscated for the king's extended estate. At this point, Ahav's foil, Elijah, steps forward, delivering a prophecy that contains a stunning sentence. Verse 17, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahav king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Navot, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Navoth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Elijah delivers this message, and he adds in verse 22, that Ahav's entire house will be destroyed, and will make thine house like the house of Yeravam the son of Nevat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Achiah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. Even the best translation cannot capture the rhythm and the drama of the words in Hebrew, Haratzachta vegam yerashta, have you murdered and also taken possession. Elijah emphasizes, of course, the murder that is committed, but the prophet is also noting the fact that the king took what was not his. And here we must understand the importance of this story for the history of the West. The Harvard economist David Landes, in his book, The Wealth and Poverty of Nations, examines why the West ultimately thrived economically. And he suggests, as did Neil Ferguson later, that the notion of private property, free from arbitrary intrusions of others or of the state, allowed for the flourishing of enterprise. Landes argues that this notion of private property was received in the West, at least in part, from the Hebrew Bible. In the Bible, the leader cannot take whatever he wants. As such, Judaism rejects the notion that all property and finance is owned by the state or by the collective that is society. Landis writes, quote, The Hebrew hostility to autocracy, even their own, was formed in Egypt and the desert, end quote. And then Landis adds that we see this first in the tale of Korach's rebellion. And Moses says in defense of his own leadership, I have not taken one donkey from them, nor did I wrong any one of them. Landis further writes, quote, Similarly, when the Israelites now established in the land call for a king, the prophet Samuel grants their wish but warns them of the consequences. A king, he tells them, will not be like him. Whose ox have I taken? End quote. Building on Landis, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs also stresses the incredible importance of the Achav story. In an interview with the Acton Institute, Rabbi Sachs reflected as follows, quote, Judaism as a religious vision emphasizes the integrity, freedom, and independence of the individual as well as his or her responsibilities to society. 
Individual property rights were therefore as important to the Hebrew Bible as they later were to John Locke. One of the great biblical dramas is Elijah's challenge to King Ahab, who seizes Naboth's vineyard. Kings did not have the right to appropriate private property. The prophet Micah dreamed of a day in which every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree and none will make him afraid. A world of limited government and respect for private property, in which individuals are self-supporting through their own labor, is a world of maximal freedom and human dignity. Judaism's strong provisions for tzedakah, a word meaning both charity and righteousness, are designed not only to alleviate poverty, but also and primarily to restore independence. Hence, in Jewish law, the highest form of charity is to find someone a job so that he or she no longer needs to depend on charity. End quote. What emerges, then, is two entirely different approaches to the power of the state. Jezebel was a pagan princess, and she does not understand Ahab's problem when he desires a piece of property. She asks him, aren't you the king of Israel? But Ahab's kingship does not entitle him to the vineyard of Naboth. The rulers of Israel do not own the land of Israel. Thus, the story is indeed an important one in the history of private property. But at the same time for Judaism, there is, of course, a king who does own all the land. That is the king of kings. In a fascinating Yiddish lecture delivered in the 1950s, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik described how Judaism fundamentally disagrees with Marxism and communism because Judaism asserts the right to what one earns and to private property. But, Rabbi Soloveitchik added, while Judaism does not believe that society or the state is the supreme owner of property and wealth. Nevertheless, there is a supreme owner. If in the Bible, a sabbatical is declared in the land of Israel and all are allowed to partake from all properties, that is instituted every seven years to remind us, as the Almighty announces, Li kol ha'aretz, for all the earth is mine, all the earth is God's. What we earn and what we own comes from God. And that means if we do not obey the obligations of Judaism regarding all that we own, obligations that include honesty, ethics, and charity, then we are violating a deal with God. Or, as Rabbi Soloveitchik put it in Yiddish, Emes, in truth, er kontrakt, which er as nit is es Or, in English, and this is my own rough translation, God gives to one who acquires all this goodness so that he can derive pleasure from it, enjoy it but only under a contract with God which he must obey. Otherwise, it is going back on the deal with the divine. This, then, is the message of the obligations that are made manifest in Jewish law, versus prohibiting theft and obligating charity, versus about rights and obligations. Property rights are founded in the biblical text, and the economy does not ultimately belong to the collective that is society. But the Bible insists that everything that each of us has is ultimately a gift from God. Judaism, on the one hand, believes in private property, but it insists that God allows us to acquire all that we have on condition that we use it wisely and well according to the obligations of the Bible. Ahav, in contrast, in our story, stands in place of God and, at Jezebel's urging, essentially says what God said, Li kol all the land is mine. But the truth is that it wasn't Ahav's land. And in punishment for this episode, Ahav's house will be destroyed, and Ahav himself falls in battle against the forces of Aram in the Gilead region. Chapter 21, verses 34, 35, and 37. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was 
stayed up in his chariot against Aram and died at the evening. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Thus did Ahav's quest for a garden and his willingness to partner with Jezebel in a terrible plot lead to the end of his monarchy. And there is again a striking comparison to Richard II. For one of the most interesting scenes in Shakespeare's play comes when a gardener of the king uses his own craft as a metaphor for statesmanship, describing the king's garden as a polity in miniature. Speaking of how the king ought to have removed the sycophants from his circle, the gardener says, Oh, what pity is it that he had not so trimmed and dressed his land as we this garden. We at time of year do wound the bark, the skin of our fruit trees, lest being overproud and sap and blood, with too much riches it confound itself. Had he done so to great and growing men, they might have lived to bear and he to taste their fruits of duty. Superfluous branches we lop away that bearing boughs may live. Had he done so, himself had borne the crown, which waste of idle hours hath quite thrown down. The story of Ahav is of the downfall of a sinful king, but the story of Ahav, Elijah, and the vineyard is a story of supreme significance for the biblical worldview and for the political philosophy of the West. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.